On today's episode of the SSPX podcast, we'll continue our apologetic series by turning towards ourselves. Father Albert will join us to look at man himself. We've spent the last three episodes looking at the existence of God. Now we need to know about us. We know that we exist. That part is easy. But what are we made for? What is our purpose? Or in more apologetical terms, what is the nature of man? This is going to influence all the rest of the episode, so Father Albert will help us to get a good foundation on this concept today. You can find notes to all of these episodes at sspxpodcast.com slash apologetics, as well as all our previous episodes. There as well, you can find a link to help support this project. This is free to listen to, as well as all the resources that we're posting, but if you can help with a one-time or a small monthly recurring donation, you'll be making sure that we can continue this work of producing good Catholic content on a regular basis. Now, let's join Father Albert for episode number four of the Apologetic Series. Well, we are here with our next episode on our Apologetic Series, and happy to welcome Father Albert. Hello, Father. How are you? Fine. How are you, Andrew? Nice to be here. Doing very well. Thank you. Thank you. Great to have you as well. And for those who may not know who you are or haven't seen you before, Father, could you just give us a couple of sentences about who you are and where you are currently? Um, I come from Western Canada. I spent most of my priestly life in France, the Dominicans and Avrier. Uh, presently, I am in Silver City, New Mexico, with the Benedictine monks where I'm teaching philosophy and uh, doing some preaching in different parts of the country and doing podcasts. And doing podcasts, that's right. Well, we are so happy that you took the time to put together this this talk for us and uh, for taking the time to record it. And our, our viewers might see one of the one of the Benedictine brothers walking behind you doing some work. Their work never ends, even if we are recording a podcast here. So uh, thanks for carving out the time, Father. That's fine. Well, today we are talking about man. Uh, and we've talked about God, we've talked about the existence of God, we've talked about creation already with Father Robinson, we've talked about evolution, now we get to talk about us, uh, man. So where would you like to start in this discussion of uh, the concept of well, we man's start father? with a quote of Bob Dylan, what do you mean by man, man? Huh? What he said was, what do you mean by <laughs> me, man? But we can change the one letter and say, what do you mean by a man, man? Because what does man mean? That's the whole question we're supposed to deal with now. Right. Um, in the first episodes, we saw that God exists. Well, now we have to talk about man and how he fits into the picture. So what do we mean by man, man? What is man? That's the question. So we just start with the definition of man. The classic definition of man is man is a rational animal. Now, that's a perfect definition because you've got the genus and the species. The genus is animal. Man is an animal, but he's a specific kind of animal. He's a rational animal. So that's what makes him different from the other animals is that he's rational. So let's just jump right into it um, and talk about the genus. First of all, the animal. That's the easy part. Um, by animal, we mean a body that... That is a material thing, but a special kind of body, a body that's alive. And not only alive, because even 
Plants, for example, are bodies that are alive. Animal is a, a live body that has sensation. That's what makes animals different from other living bodies, is that they have sensation. Plants don't really have sensation. Um, now, there's always sort of these borderline cases. Um, you know, they talk about these animals, these, excuse, these plants, rather, that are sort of like animals, these plants that can uh, snap out and eat flies, for example. Um, well, that's a, that's a plant that's kind of on the borderline between animals and plants um, because it actually sense that there's a fly there and moves and grabs it. Um, but these exceptions just prove the rule. Um, plant is normally can't do that. And so these special kind of plants kind of act like animals, but it just proves that there is a real difference between plants and animals. It shows that the border is really there because they can sort of cross over it. Um, so man fits into this general category of things that have sensitive life. Um, so if we want to know what man is, what we are, first of all, we have to talk about the senses. Um, first of all, the five superior okay. senses. Everybody knows you know, sight, hearing, and smell, taste, and touch. But uh, there's also what are called the interior senses, which maybe people haven't really heard about that much and talked about that much, although they know what they are, obviously. Um, those are the, the interior senses are what's called the common sense. I'll explain that in a minute. Um, memory, imagination, and what's called the estimative sense, which is another kind of thing that needs a little bit of explanation. Um, first of all, a common okay. sense. Um, you know, that doesn't mean what it means in normal language, right? Common sense. You have somebody who has common sense. It means they're sort of... Yeah, they you know how to sort of react normally in different situations. In philosophy, common sense means um, this sense that is a power by which we are conscious of what our external senses tell us, and that's yeah. a simple fact of life. It's experience. We we see that we see, and we. We know that we're seeing. There's a certain. We have a sense that we're seeing and all, and hearing and tasting, and so this common sense kind of puts together all these different data that come from our exterior senses, um, and we can be aware that we are sensing because sense itself doesn't sense itself. Um, it senses its object, color, or the smell, or odor, whatever the particular object of this sense is. Um, so there has to be an interior sense, as we call it, um, by this, this word interior senses, which um, is aware that what these senses are doing, because the senses themselves don't sense sensing. So that's right. the first interior sense. Uh, the second one is more we, common sense. We know about it. It's called imagination. It's this power to store up images um, in our soul. Um, it's something that everybody realizes that they have. And it's an interior sense because it's, it's not directly sensing something. It's rather recalling something that has been sensed previously. So it, it, there must be a power 
um, that's able to do that because we we know we knew that it's, it's a fact of experience. We don't always even something we've experienced with our exterior senses before we can recall um, by this faculty that's called um, well, if recall is not the right word, um, we can reproduce by this power this image that we had, and that's power is called imagination. The power that recalls okay. is in the faculty, and that's the third interior sense, which is called memory. It's fistus. Uh, again, to some experience, we know that we can uh, reproduce these images that we've taken um, from our sense experience, and we can make a movie of them, sort of. We can uh, play them again, um, and that's called the memory. And finally, the fourth okay. interior sense is something a little bit more uh, mysterious. It's called the estimative power. Um, it's that by which the animal senses things which are not the object of any of this exterior senses. Um, the example that's always given is a lamb senses it has to flee from the wolf. Um, it's not because of the color of the wolf or the smell of the wolf necessarily right away. I mean, it's uh, not immediately. I mean, it, it just knows somehow that it should flee the wolf, and it does. Um, and so there must be some sort of faculty in this animal um, which makes it uh, recognize that this is a harmful thing to it. Um in modern, in normal language, this is what's called instinct. It's the it's this okay. sense that animals have that something is bad or good for them. It's always some, be something good, you know, just the way they um, birds that build nests, for example, they know, you know, they just know how to do that somehow. Um, sure. It's instinct, okay, and that's something you know. Everybody realizes that's just part of the animals they, they they know how to do that and we have that as well um it's a little bit different in us because of our reason essentially sheds a certain uh intellectual light on these uh, capabilities that's why it's 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 a little bit higher than instinct but basically it's the same thing it's it's different because it's in us and we have reason i think we talk about it in a minute um but it's it's basically the same thing in the, in Technical terms and in men, it's called the cogitative power. Um, uh, you know, you cogitate on things. You've got this sort of instinct, and you can you just do things. Um, but because you have reason, it's not complete. It's not just a not just an instinct. Um, that reason is is involved in a certain way. So this so is that, the, this is the main difference between between animals and man is is this this boundary between instinct so to speak senses and instinct and reason so we we can know that there is something and we know that we know that there is something whereas an animal might know something and instinctively flee from the wolf like you said but it doesn't necessarily know that it knows that for example it just it just flees okay. and doesn't need to it's programmed you see. And that's part of, right. we have that as well. So, you know, um, it's interesting, Pascal, the French philosopher, writer, 
um, talks about that when he's talking in his book where he uh, is apologetics. It's called the, they just called the book Pensee, which means thoughts because he never finished it. But the title of, that he had for the book was The Apologetic for the Christian Religion. And one of the things he counsels people uh, to do, he says, take holy water. If you want to believe, take holy water. And he said, and he explains, says, because we're half animal, if we do something, um, instinct, like, uh, just a habit, a physical habit, we will end up, that will end up getting into us. He said, take holy water and you'll believe. Hmm. Um, hmm. Because we are, you know, we're partly animal, which it's part of our nature. Um, we're not just animals, but that's, it's true that we have this uh, right. instinct and, you know, it is, and you see it in, in the in the church. You've got all oh, take holy water, right? Uh, and you've got these the right. smells and bells, as they call them. Uh, well, that's normal. Right. It's part of our nature. We can't just suppress that. Um, but we're not just that. Okay, that's this. That's the genus, the animal part. Um, then there's what makes us different from the animal, which is reason. So we have to talk about that um it's what uh actually okay. defines us um and makes us different from the animals now it's true there's some animals that seem to have reason um again this is the borderline cases you know like monkeys for example they seem to do things like men do kind of or they talk about dolphins being able to do certain things as if they um were intelligent um, but in fact, they are. I mean, it's just a fact. And dolphins and monkeys are not men. And what distinguishes them from man is the fact that uh, they don't have reason and we do. And one of the clearest signs of that is that they don't talk. They might make signs. Uh, other animals make signs as well. But a sign is not the same thing as talking. A sign is just a sign. It can mean something in a way, but um, to really, to be able to talk, you've got to have something to say. And, and what you say when you talk is you communicate a, an idea. Um, animals don't do that. They might make signs, uh, but they don't talk. You know, that's just, you know, that's a fairy tale. Or, animals don't communicate in the sense of the talking. They have a certain communication, perhaps, but that's, um, you know, they don't write books or they don't have conversations um, because they don't have universal ideas. And that comes from the reason. So that's what distinguishes men from animals. It's this fact that they, we have a universal idea. For example, that's what we can say um, sentences because we take two universal ideas and we put them together. Um, got a, a subject and a predicate, and both of them are universal ideas. For example, man and fat. This man is fat. Uh, we know what fatness is, we know what man is, and we can say about this particular man that this man is fat, and it means something. Um, it's it's uh, a communication of a truth. So we know the universal truth by a reason, and that's what distinguishes us. The animals. Now, we can go on from that, um, from this 
little fact, it leads us farther, even a lot farther, because the fact that we have these universal ideas that separate us, that are separate from particular material things, which you can sense, you can sense particular material things with your senses. Um, but to have an idea, an idea is separate from the universal things. Um, now, the fact that you can do that means that you have something in you that's immaterial, that transcends matter, because you don't just have particular I, um, particular sensations of particular things. You have universal ideas um, which transcend matter. So if you can do something that transcends matter, then that means that you must have something that's immaterial in yourself. Um, because the, the scholastic adage is agere sequitur esse. What you do, acting, follows being. Um, in other words, what you do depends on what you are. Um, and then that's just common sense. And so what something does depends on what it is. And then a bird flies because it has wings. It can do sure. that, fly, because it has wings. And men, they can, because they have this capacity to know universal ideas, well, they must, which is immaterial, and there must be something in them that's material that allows them to do that. Otherwise, they couldn't do it. So there must be something in man which is immaterial. So you see how important um, this distinction between uh, thought and sensation is. It really opens up a whole world, um, an immaterial world um, for man. And it tells us a lot about even his destiny because it he does these things which material, he must have some element in him which transcends matter, which leads us even further because if there's something in man that is immaterial, then man is immortal. Now, what could be more practical than that, right? Um, now, to understand that, we have to go into a little bit of philosophy, but Matter, in fact, is the principle of corruption in things. Because as Aristotle shows, that's precisely what matter is. It's this principle that must exist in things to explain the fact that what was one thing, all of a sudden becomes something else. Like something else entirely. Um, now, I don't know, you shall we go into that or not? Sure. I mean, yeah, that, that's starting to make sense. Because... Okay, now hang on. This is a little bit. You might never ever thought of it, thought of it this way before. For example, okay. what was a piece of wood a minute ago? Now is a pile of ashes. Now that's what the Greeks would call substantial change. Um, it's the fact that what was one thing suddenly changes and becomes something entirely different. And for the Greeks, who actually thought the only probably race of the human, all the whole human race actually started to think, that's amazing. You have one thing that was one thing, and it becomes something completely different. Now, how can that be? Because this was wood, and now it's ashes. And it's 
it's not completely different because what was wood is now ashes. There's a, it's the same thing that was wood that is now ashes. So there must be something underneath right. that remains, and yet it's completely different. You know, wood is wood and ashes and ashes. It's not the same thing at all. And so that's what matter is. It's this thing that's underneath substantial change. It's, it's what, what was wood is ashes. Uh, so it's something completely different. And yet this thing underneath is this potentiality to be one thing and then be another thing after. Um, it's pure potentiality. That's what matter is. Um, now, if there's matter, then there can be substantial change. That's it's what matter is. It explains just substantial change. But if there is no matter, then there can't be substantial change. So if man has this element in him which is immaterial, then that must be immortal. Because right. it does not matter. And matter is the principle that explains the one thing can change into another thing completely. So if something doesn't have that, well, then it can't <laughs> become something other completely. Right. It just is what it is. Um, now, in philosophy, we learn that, that anything that's like that has to be intelligent because it can receive uh, the forms of other things um, intentionally. But we, we're not, that's not our subject, so we won't go into that. But uh, that's okay. what you in psychology. But that at least explains then um, if something has no matter, then it can't become something else because that's what matter is. It's this potentiality to become something else. So it remains what it is because all it is is what it is. That is the form. Because um, the form is what makes a thing be what it is. So if there is no matter, well, then it just is what it is, and it's not going to change. So because man then has this immaterial aspect in him, which is what separates him from animals, um, it makes him immortal. That so that sense. then, obviously, is going to take us even farther. Um, okay. I mean, the fact that man is immaterial and has this immortal aspect to him um, is going to determine his purpose. What, what, because the purpose of a thing is the activity in which its nature achieves its perfection. And so since man has this faculty of intelligence, um, which raises him above animals, which is, makes him more perfect than animals, then his purpose the reason for his being is to exercise this activity, to attain his good. Because the purpose of everything is to attain its good. That's as good as what good is. It's to fulfill, um, to become perfect, uh, to have this activity which fulfills your being. And since the highest faculty in man is intelligence, um, the purpose of man, his end, is going to be to perfect his intelligence. And that's makes his his beatitude, which is basically a fancy word for his happiness. But, uh, so the perfection and happiness of man 
um, depends on this fact that his nature is intellectual. So you see, we've already come quite a, quite a ways talking about what man yeah. is. Um, it's by his intellect that he's different from animals and that that's going to be his perfection then is to know the truth. Because he can't be happy uh-huh. unless he attains the perfection of this highest part of his being. And the perfection of this highest part of his being is to know the truth. Again, adjudicate sequitur essay. Um, because that's his nature, like it's an intellectual nature, then his happiness is going to persist in, in acting according to that nature and fulfilling the potentialities of that nature, which is to know the truth. Ah. So that leads us into another whole part of uh, consideration of man, which is much more practical. You have to start with what man is, but then, as I said, it leads to what man does, and it's what man does that makes him happy. Um, So this is what leads us into the the whole consideration of uh, morality. Because that's what morality is. It's considering acts, human acts, from the perspective of what they're, uh, how they perfect man's nature and make him happy, or uh, give him beatitude. So that's the whole second part of the Summa of St. Thomas is all about beatitude. What we, these acts which we have to perform in order to attain our perfection, our happiness. Um, so that's what morality is. It's the acts of man considered in relation to their last end. Um, but the end, I mean, doesn't mean like the end. Sort of the end doesn't mean sort of, well, it's all over, finished. Uh, in a way, it's just the opposite. The end is the perfection of man. It's, it's uh, the purpose of man. Um, and you attain your beatitude by attaining your purpose. Um, so St. Thomas has this whole section of the Summa, uh, the second the second part of the Summa, which is the longest part of the Summa, all about, well, man's happiness and how to attain it. So maybe we can talk about that a little bit to finish. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's fascinating. So so when we're talking about the material things, just, just to recap a little bit, you're saying the underlying thing that makes material things things, that makes them material, is the fact that they will undergo some sort of a change or potentiality. Um, this is kind of similar to, I, th- I think if I'm remembering correctly, the second law of thermodynamics that says everything is is entropy, right? Everything is going to change at some point. So everything material is going to change. Everything material has that potentiality to become something else. But the soul doesn't because it is immaterial. Therefore, it is also immortal. Therefore, we have a purpose. So it's it's just kind of leading us down the step of, what is the what? purpose of man? Well, it's not necessarily our bodies. It's our immaterial soul and our immortal soul. Exactly. You see how important philosophy is. Um, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just logical. Um, right. It's, okay. We, and that's what we're going to explain in this part. That's what St. Thomas explains, especially the first five questions in this, sec- this second part. He talks about beatitude. You know, the beatitude of man. Yeah. What is the beatitude of man? You know, what is it we have... Because that's what determines what we have to do in order to attain our end and be happy. Um, so he has this whole section to begin. Um, you know, what is the end of man? What is his perfection of man? What, 
And so he goes through these different um, considerations of what men have thought the attitude consists in. Um, because everybody wants to be happy. I mean, that's just bottom right. line. You can't help but want to be happy. Um, the problem is, is where is happiness and what does it consist? Um, and because, and that's a very important question, at least practically, because um, as we said, you're, you, what you do um, brings you to the fulfillment of your being. Um, so you have to do what brings you what brings you to the fulfillment of your being. And if you don't, well, you won't arrive to the fulfillment of your being. You won't be happy. Um, so it's very absolutely vital, literally, uh, to know uh, what is it that it, in what consists the beatitude of man. Right? So that's what he talks about. He goes through these different possibilities of what different men have thought um, was is their beatitude. Um, so we can go through it if you want, just a little bit. Um, sure. To say what to see what Saint Thomas says about that. Um, okay. So we get. I just read a phrase of Saint Maximilian Colby. He talks about this. All men seek happiness and hope to attain it, but few are they who find it, because they look for it where it is not to be found. Okay, so we'll go through these different goods which people uh, seek, hoping to find their beatitude. Because everything, every act we do, that's the only reason we do it is because to attain our happiness. Um, but the problem is, some people, as he says, uh, don't find it because they look for it where it is not to be found. So Saint Thomas conducts this long investigation into the different goods of man and tries to discover in which of them is found true beatitude. So first of all, he explains, beatitude does not consist in riches, because riches are simply a means of acquiring natural goods, like food or drink or other things. Um, so man's beatitude can't consist in riches, because riches are simply a, a means of attaining good. As St. Thomas says, for all these things are sought after, Food, drink, habitations, etc. Because of something else, so we 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 want money, so we get these things: food, drink, etc. But he says all these things are sought after because of something else, namely, in order to to sustain the nature of man, and therefore they cannot be the last end of man, but rather are ordered to man as to their end, as it is said in the Psalm: "Thou hast put all things under his feet." Okay, he's sort of this is famous. You know, you can't live to eat because we just eat to live. And so eating right. cannot be our final end because that itself is disordered to us. So we can't be ordered to it. Um, it's pretty simple. Um, and riches are simply main, means of attaining these things. So riches cannot be. Yeah, our our, our beatitude cannot consist of material riches. Secondly, okay. he goes on and explains that beatitude does not consist in honor, which is another good that people seek, and in some people even put their last in in honor. Um, and he says this is because honor is given to excellence, 
That's what honor is. It's, it's this uh, homage that you pay to excellence. And so honor supposes excellence. But the attitude is what makes a man excellent. So it doesn't consist in honor, but rather is honor is rather a consequence of the attitude. Um, because it, it's the, the homage that you pay to excellence or perfection, but the attitude is that excellence or perfection. So it can't consist in the honor because honor is just consequence of right. perfection. Right. So, right. and yet a lot of people do that. Right. Um, and there's an objection here from uh, Aristotle who points out the fact that the reward of virtue is honor and beatitude is the reward of virtue as well so honor and beatitude seem to be the same thing because both of them are the reward of virtue now the answer to that is that the honor is the reward of virtue in the sense that one I'm scoring it's not um, the reward of virtue in the sense that one is uh, virtuous in order to be honored, because that would just be ambition. You know, if you just uh, you know were virtuous in order to be honored by other people, well, that's that's not the way it works. That's just ambition. You know, you would you seek the honor of people as your last end. You, you seek to be good so that people honor you. Well, it's the other way around. Um, honor is what you're given if you have virtue, but it's not the reason why you seek virtue. Um, right. The attitude, on the contrary, is the virtuous person himself. He's, he is, uh, because he's virtuous, um, he has happiness. And because he has this happiness, then he's honored. But honor is, so this is virtue, no, excuse me, um, the attitude doesn't consist in honor. It's rather honor is giving to someone who has the attitude, which is to be virtuous, um, as we're going to explain in a minute. All right. Okay. That's what we call, for example, the saints. We call them the blessed. Um, and that's why they honor them, because they have attained the attitude that is, they, by their virtue, they have become perfect, and so they're worthy of our honor. But... Uh, the honor is a consequence of this perfection of the attitude. It's not doesn't consist in that. But again, a lot of okay. people that's what they live for is to be praised by other people. Um, but they've got it backwards, you see. But the, and another possibility, uh, which is similar a bit to honor, um, for some people, the attitude consists in glory which is the knowledge of something accompanied by praise, says St. Thomas. Um, for example, you know, a great basketball player has glory because of his great playing and seen on TV and everybody uh, praises him. They give him glory. But this praise doesn't cause the beatitude of this basketball player. Uh, his beatitude consists rather in is playing. He's a great basketball player. That's his his uh, attitude. And again, glory, just like honor, is uh, a consequence of it. It doesn't consist in 
Beatitude doesn't consist in glory. Glory is a consequence of being blessed, being a great basketball player. St. Thomas adds on this point, though, kind of he flips it around a bit, saying that it's true that in a way our beatitude depends uh, on our glory before God. So our beatitude is our glory, not before men, but before God. And he explains um, that our beatitude depends on our glory before God um, because God's knowledge of our excellence isn't caused by our excellence, it's rather the cause of our excellence. When God knows things, he's not passive with regard to them. Well, good. With regard to good, um, things are good because God loves them. He doesn't love them because they're good. So things are not mm -hmm. praised by God because they're good. Rather, they're good because God praises them. Um, so in that sense, um, our glory before God is the cause of our beatitude. And uh, we can say our, glory, our beatitude consists in our glory before God because our glory before God is the cause of our beatitude. Um, it's because he wills um, our good that we have it. Um, period. So this glory we have before God is actually uh, is our beatitude because it's God that causes our, be our, our glory. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, to just finish the list, man's beatitude doesn't consist in power, because power can be used for good or for evil. Um, so it's not goodness in itself, because you know if you, if you use your power for good, then it's a good thing. But if you use power for evil, and it's, it's not a good thing, it's a very bad. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, uh, man's beatitude does not consist in any good of the body. Uh, so you, strengths or beauty, etc., because this good itself, as we sort of said before, is ordered to the good of the soul. Um, and that's proven by the simple fact that the body cannot exist without the soul, So, while the soul can exist without the body, which we talked about before. Um, therefore, the body exists for the soul and not the other way around. And so right. the good of the body can't be our beatitude, that is our ultimate good, because it's ordered to something else. It is the good of the soul. And it's a very simple argument, and yet how many people put their beatitude in their strength or beauty? Um, you know, it's just, it's an error. Right. Also, he goes on, another common error is to say the beatitude consists in pleasure. And, well, obviously, this consists in bodily pleasure. We've just seen that because the body is for the soul. Um, but neither does it consist in any kind of pleasure, even spiritual pleasure. Because pleasure or delight uh, is simply a consequence of possessing the good. So it cannot be that very possession. We experience delight when we possess our good. But it isn't that good itself. Precisely because it's the consequence of it. It's the consequence of it. Well, it can't, our, our goodness cannot consist in delight. Um, delight is a consequence of having the good. So it can't be the good itself. And in practice, that's, again, that's, that's an error that we all make, more or less. Um, but it's an error. We have to embrace what is truly our good 
and we will experience delight, but it's not by embracing delight itself um, that we will attain our good and so our delight. Again, that's an that's a fact of experience. Um, you know, we know that if we, if we just sort of go for something that is pleasurable, even if it's a spiritual pleasure, we know that we end up without it, without pleasure, because uh, we have to um, embrace what is uh, what will give uh, true delight, um, and not the like itself. Wow. Finally, Saint Thomas concludes. But the following argument that man's beatitude can only consist in God himself. So we're getting to the final conclusion of this whole section. Because man's beatitude must completely fulfill his desire. And so it must consist in obtaining the very object of his will. And so fulfill its desire. Um, but the object of man's will is not just a particular good. We talked about that. For animals, they have particular goods. But because we have this faculty of reason, um, we know the idea of universal good. So that's the object of our desire is not just a particular good, but universal good, good in itself. Um, now, the Dominican... Commentator St. Thomas Cajetan explains this, the key premise of this argument, which is the parallel drawn between universal, universal object of the intellect and the universal object of the will. And he recalls the difference between the respective objects of the intellect and the will, namely the truth, which is the object of, of the intellect, and the good, which is the object of the will. The truth is in the intellect because it consists in this adequation of the intellect to what really is. So truth is something that's in the intellect itself. The good, however, which is the object of the will, is in the things themselves, um, because it doesn't consist in the correspondence between the will and the loves and the thing it loves, as truth consists in correspondence between the intellect and what it knows. Rather, it's the opposite. Goodness is in the thing itself that's loved, which is loved because it's good. And so goodness is in the object loved, and it causes that love. And so it's not in the will. Goodness isn't in the will, as truth is in the intellect. Goodness is in the thing that's good, and which is loved because it's good. It's external. It's objective. And so the universal absolute good, which is the object of the will, as you explained, you know, we can't be happy unless we have this universal absolute good. Well, it's something real and it's outside of us. And so it can't be anything but God himself, because God is the absolute real good of the whole universe. And that's why only God can give man the beatitude that he seeks, because as the Lord himself says to the young man, rich man, called him good, he says, only God is good. That is, only God is the universal absolute good that can alone satisfy man's desire. That's what St. Augustine said. Our heart is restless until it rests in thee, because only God is the universal good, and it's only that universal good that can satisfy this intellectual appetite, which is the will. 
whose object is this universal good. So we can sum up then this whole thing. I'll just sort of read it. Neither riches, nor honor, nor glory, nor power, nor pleasure can make men happy because they do not satisfy this innate desire he has for an infinite good. And this desire is, comes to man precisely because of his intellect, which attains the universal nature of things, as we explain, and what makes him different from the animals. And so no particular good can satisfy man because he has this notion of universal good that is good in itself, and knowing this, he cannot help but desire it. And the freedom of the will, um, which is a very important point, when also a bit consistently in the fact that we have this desire for an infinite good, so nothing um, particular that we experience in our lives um, can constrain the will to, to make it uh, love it because it doesn't fulfill the will completely. It, it could always say no because this particular good doesn't satisfy it um, Whereas in heaven, the blessed who see their infinite good, which is God, uh, which satisfies superabundantly their dis desire um, for the good. Um, see, they, they can't turn away. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of paradoxical. Right. Paradoxical. They, they can't turn away, and yet it's free. Just as God loves himself... Right. And can't help but love himself, but yet he loves himself freely. So anyway, that's the conclusion: is that um, only God is good, and I think that's what is going to be talked about in the next uh, podcast. We're going to talk about religion because that's is, how we attain our good. This is Father. This is great, and I love apologetics so much because. It's very clear. It's very logical. It takes you step by step. Yes, faith is necessary for religion. Faith is necessary for our faith. But none of this is relying on, well, faith. It's just logical, step by step. Right. It's what's called the preamble of faith. That is, there are certain things um, that come before the act of faith. It's not just sort of a blind leap into the dark. Um some right. Protestants have that idea. I remember I had this conversation with a Protestant girl once on them. Um, she said, I'd believe that Jonah swallowed the whale if it was in the Bibles. Well, <laughs> that's not Catholic. That's just stupid. Right. Um, you know, our faith is reasonable. <laughs> it, it surpasses reason. Um, but uh, St. Thomas says, you know, to make the act of faith, uh, we have to be sure that it's a reasonable act. And that's what all of these preliminary yeah. uh, principles to the faith are about. And then also the apologetic proofs of the truth of the faith. We can, you know, God has given rational proofs of the truth of the religion that he's revealed. Um, that's not, faith is not that. Faith is, is adhering to this supernatural motive of faith, which is God reveals. And that's something completely supernatural, and it's a gift. But we can't make that that uh, act unless it's reason. And the mixing of these of apologetics that 
shows that we can do that. Right. Father, this has been excellent. Thank you so much for taking the time to go through us uh, through this with us. Um, and I'm sure we'll have you back on another time for another another one of these at some point in the future. So thank you again. All right. I look forward to it. God bless you. All right. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Apologetic Series on the SSPX podcast and on our YouTube page. Please consider subscribing to the YouTube account and the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are found. And please consider leaving a rating or a review on this podcast. This will help to make sure more people can find this podcast and discover the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism. Until next time, thank you for joining us and God bless you.